Welcome back to Creative Pursuits. My name is Alex Crow. Thanks for being here with us. Our guest today is none other than Christina Heller. She is the CEO of Metastage, a volumetric capture studio. And today we talk about the past, present, and future of ARVR and how Christina's own trailblazing instincts led her into that space. We also talk about large spiders. So you don't want to you don't want to miss that. Be sure to stick around. I also before before we really get into it, I want to dispel a notion. I make a self-deprecating comment about water wings in this episode, and I just want to dispel this no, the whatever whatever notion might have been implied and and for the record, I want you to know this might not make sense me saying it now, but it will later. I want you to know, dear listener, that I was I was actually quite intrepid as a child. So please bear that in mind. Before we get into it, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by Team People. So if you are looking for top talent in the most current production disciplines, this includes podcasts, podcasting. Well, you need to know about Team People. Their specialty is creative services, and they can equip you with the specialized creative and technical talent that you need to complete your project on time and on budget. With a background in production and a focus on forward-facing production technologies, they can help you with the critical skills necessary at every stage of the process, from development to execution to marketing and more. If you're thinking about harnessing the power of VR or AR, Team People has the recruiting team with the knowledge and experience to help you find the talent you need. They work with big studios, brands of all sizes, development studios, in-house agencies, and independent production companies with a scalable model that can provide a single person to augment the team you have in place or help you build out an entire new team. So join forces with Team People. They will go to work for you. You can find them online at teampeople.tv and they are also on Twitter at teampeopletv, no dot. All right, let's get to my conversation with Christina Heller. Metastage uh, specializes in something called volumetric capture or volumetric video or holographic capture, um, depending on which way you want to want to phrase it. Um, essentially, we at Metastage, we use 106 cameras all facing inward at a uh, at a sub performer or performers at the center of, of that volume with all the cameras facing in and on them. And we're capturing that performance um, using infrared and RGB cameras from every possible angle so that we can, you know, put it through the software. And on the other side, you get a fully 3D asset with all the integrity to the true real performance. So, you know, unlike motion capture where, you know, we've all seen, which we've all seen in like Avatar and things like that, where you're, you have an animated model and then a person is like puppeting it right. or, or making it move. The, the goal of volumetric capture is, is basically to take you know, video, what, what video, but make it truly three-dimensional so that um, it's the closest thing to the real, the real experience uh, of the person doing the performance as possible. If you wouldn't mind tracing your path 
that led to this XR, VR, AR volumetric um, universe? Yeah. Well, I've been working in production my whole life. You know, I started in theater production in high school and then in college, I got into radio and, and television production um, and then documentaries in my twenties and uh, had was a bit of like a one woman band, if you will. I shot, I edited, I hosted, I produced. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and I also had a bit of an entrepreneurial, um, I had the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial bug. So when I was 23, I decided to start my own production company with, you know, at the time, the, the most accessible, best technology in the game, which was like a mini DV camera, right. Sonic mini DV camera and an iMac with Final Cut Pro on it. Um, and, and so, you know, throughout, and so started a production company in my twenties and, and then also was involved with two feature documentary films. And so I, I got used to the process of starting businesses, starting bank accounts while also, you know, running production, productions, like learning how to bid projects and how to execute and deliver. Um, and so that was, you know, in a lot of ways, setting the stage for what was to come. I also tended to focus on nonfiction documentary journalism, um, genres as, as, as my primary um, focus. And so, you know, by the end of my, when I, I was at that pivotal period of being like 29, 30, around uh, 2014, and I started wanting to look to the future. I, I was like, okay, well, where's media and technology? Where does that intersect? And that was right where my head space was when I tried the um, DK1, the Oculus DK1 at, New, at, at Sundance New Frontiers. And you know, it was just that, it was that key moment where if you look back at like what maybe in some parallel universe, my life went one way and another went this way. This is, this was a, a key moment because um, that I, I was there with some creative colleagues and we came back and, and I just couldn't stop thinking about starting a content company for, for that would make content for these headsets and looked at the landscape of who was actually developing content for, you know, 360 and VR headsets. And there really wasn't, there weren't a lot of people. And I, so, so I, yeah, so we started at that time, a company called VR Playhouse with the goal of learning how to become experts in content production for, for VR headsets. And wow, what a journey. I mean, three, so I ran that company for three years along with um, a, a number of, of partners, including Ian Forrester, DJ Turner, Dylan Southerd, um, Jordan Halsey, just throwing out the, some names. Um, sure. and, and, we, and, we, and we ran that company for three years and it was a crazy roller coaster. The, we, we did you know, 65 projects we, that fell into vertic various verticals and, and use cases. And a um, lot of firsts, like first piece of content on Time, Time Inc.'s VR app when they came out. We were the first piece of content on the Discovery app when they were pitching it internally. Um, we, we did the first piece for Lytro when they were building out their Lightfield cam. So it was like the ultimate constant challenge. Like I was constantly outside my comfort zone and constantly learning and, and yeah. learning is, and learning about XR from what I considered the absolute nexus of it. I was like, content is where, you know, software, hardware, financing, distribution, creative, it's like where it all comes together. And so like, you know, just the most valuable education I could have ever had over three years. Um, and then, so then uh, I, I left at VR Playhouse as the, as the CEO in 2017. Uh, my partner took it over and, and continues to run it. And 
uh, and I, I wanted to specialize. I wasn't exactly sure what was next. And then I was approached um, with the, you know, chance of a lifetime, the offer of a lifetime to, to launch and lead Metastage. They, they said, um, you know, would you be interested in launching and leading this new volumetric capture facility in Los Angeles? And I said, well, what's the technology? Like that, you know, who's the tech? And they said, right. oh, it's, it's, the, it's the Microsoft tech. And I was like, oh, well, that's, that's some really, really great tech. It's the best tech. So, uh, so of course I said yes. And, um, and then we spent, I spent 2018 along with my, my now team getting the company off the ground. And, and then we launched in August of 2018. So that's the, that's the broad summary of, of how yeah. I got to, to the spot. That, that's awesome. Well, you mentioned at VR Playhouse, it felt like you were kind of in a, in, in unexplored terrain and that maybe gave you some nerves or maybe it was, it was exhilarating. Is that something that you actively seek out kind of going where you're uncomfortable? That's a great question. You know, my mom told this, me a story once of, and I don't know if I've ever said this one on a podcast, but it's just kind of funny, but my mom tells this story about when I was like, I don't know, three or four, like, and then we were at the pool and, and I did not know how to swim. And I just, walked straight into the pool, like without any hesitation and just sunk right to the bottom. And then she had to like, she had to like jump in and like rescue me. And I feel like it's a great metaphor for how I tend to operate. Like, I just am like, that looks very interesting. I want to, I would love to pursue that. And then I just confidently walk right into the pool and sink to the bottom. Now, I, what's good is that, you know, you eventually learn to swim. I, you know, at, at 37 years old now, I have developed a lot of tools and I have a bunch of experience now that I can learn, like reference. And, you know, you, you hopefully get better at over time. But yes, I would say that, especially in the VR Playhouse days, there was a lot of, a lot of that where, um, you know, it was almost like the more in I got, you know, it was just one of those things where like, I got, I couldn't turn back. You know, I was like, we've come so far, I can't turn back. But I had no idea just how complicated and challenging and, you know, the world I was about to enter would be. But right. in the way that's a blessing, right? Because if you yeah. if you knew exactly how everything was gonna turn out, you might not have had the, the audacity and the boldness to go there. And obviously I have no regrets, but yes, it's, and, and I guess right now, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm a little, um, maybe I'm like desensitized to it a bit. Maybe there's yeah. some like kind of an adrenaline, you know, that I, that I, that I'm seeking out there. It, it probably feeds itself. Well, conversely at around the same age, I can't say if this happened for sure, but I imagine my, my mother placed, uh, the water wings on me and I walked up to the edge of the pool and I looked back at her and I said, uh-uh, no way. I don't, I don't trust this. Even with the <laughs> even with the little inflatables on my, on my arms, but, um, but no, that, I mean, it does get easier. Right. And, and it's like, I don't know, I, I, I hate this, but all these, a lot of these like dumb cliches are, are so true. Like that poster, when you walk into the psychologists or psychiatrist's office and it says like, like, um, like where you are and like where the, or your, your comfort zone, where the magic happens. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and and I don't know if yeah you probably do get do get desensitized to it or 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 you just have a that realization like I need to I need to go there like whenever I whenever I put myself out there and it, it it's it's usually 
it's so nerve wracking, but it's also always so gratifying. But, um, well, you know, jumping in, I feel like I'm not one of these Wim Hof people, but I hear a lot about the value of these, of, of submerging yourself in really cold water. And as far as I understand it, like part of the, part of the benefit of it is learning to breathe and, and kind of calm your nervous system while in that freezing water. I, I feel yeah. like entrepreneurship is, is like that, where it's not that necessarily it's gotten less crazy, but I just have become more comfortable inside that uncertainty and, um, and I'll maybe have a better perspective about it. But yeah, yeah. I think that's a good analogy. So what are some of the main applications of, of the, the volumetric technology? I mean, why are you using this to create I mean, you said that you were doing mostly um, non non-fictional works, doc documentaries, so on and so forth. What are the applications? Is it is it entertainment? Is it is it educational? Uh, wh what are the applications of the volumetric system you guys have? So you know, we you can experience our our well. I'm um, for the sake of our podcast, I'm gonna call them holograms. But obviously, okay. they they could be called 3D assets or anything. But you. You can experience our holograms in a few different ways. You can experience them on a, in an augmented reality uh, way by using your mobile phone and using the mobile phone as the lens from which to you know, place them in your physical environment. So there's like mobile yeah. AR. Then there's more high-end augmented reality, which is like the HoloLens glasses from Microsoft, the, the Magic Leap glasses. Um, the glasses we're all hoping that Apple releases in the, you know, this year or next year. So then there's the AR glasses, uh, right. and then there's virtual reality headsets. Uh, and we all know what VR headsets are. And then there's also, um, you know, holographic display technology, which is more of like what we imagine with like, you know, the holodeck in those future, that's, that's a bit more in the future, like where you right. could view a hologram without any glasses. And then finally, you know, we're just starting to play with virtual production where, you know, the final output of our, of, of what the consumers are going to see is a, is a video, um, but you're placing these assets into environments and they're filming them inside of a game engine. So yeah. laying that out, those are, those are the ways that one can experience uh, volumetric captures. And um, I would say that for the most part, for the last two years, we've been we've done a lot of mobile AR on your phone, which makes sense because it's like the broadest like way to distribute, and um, people can experience it. So I would say that you know eighty percent of eighty eighty five percent of our work has been for mobile AR, and we and then but but inside of that, we've played in all kinds of genres. You know, we have we've done a lot with sports that you know some of which has come out some of which is 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 scheduled and slated to come out but a lot of athletes a lot of sports uh which makes sense because you know you can really see the the way that an athlete holds them themselves you can see the way that they you know do their moves um and you can get closer to them which is what so many fans desire and yeah. um so we've done a lot of sports we've done a lot of music um you know famous musicians doing like little music video type uh captures and then, um, and then we've done training like enterprise, um, and and then beyond that, like like I said, just anything you can imagine where it might be, where that falls into this category of XR, where it would behoove you to be able to see a real person do the performance. That's right. where we're in. So, talking about actually uh, people in audience interacting with this content, you mentioned that you partnered with. Microsoft 
for Meta, MetaStage is is basically a collaboration between you, um, your your own expertise and prowess with the backing of Microsoft. I read Irina Cronin's book, The Infinite Retina. There's a lot of talk about the Microsoft HoloLens. Mm -hmm. Does the HoloLens play into um, into this? In, into what you're doing in any way? Absolutely. Uh, the HoloLens is, in my opinion, the best, um, the, the most high-end AR glasses that are on the market right now. Um, and our content works seamlessly with the HoloLens. So, you know, for example, we, we, we worked on a really great medical training project with a company called GigXR, where, um, you know, doctors in training put on the HoloLens and they are able to run through simulations of, of people with ailments and, and diseases and illnesses. Um, we captured, you know, people at MetaStage with subject matter experts um, weighing in so that we could simulate, you know, common, well, not necessarily common, just, you know, what ailments and diseases um, the doctors might be asked to, to diagnose. And so, you know, this is a whole, a whole medical training application that's just directed towards um, the HoloLens glasses. Um, so, you know, right now they're, they're a little pricey. They're definitely like in the business, right. in the business class of, of, um, hardware. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but, but I will, I'll say the first time I saw one of our captures on the HoloLens, it was one of those like kind of key XR moments for me where like, I was kind of, my breath was taken away because, right. you know, I'm kind of used to seeing our assets, you know, through a phone and then, all of a sudden this person like appeared right before me and it was just you know with all the integrity and authenticity of of the the real person right. and it just felt you know you just that's when you know you know you can see like a year or two into the future and you know that there's you know that this is going to be huge right. um once that once the, the hardware becomes you know more accessible to consumers and that kind of moment almost seems tethered in a way to that first moment that you put those goggles on it at the Sundance Institute all those years ago, right? And like, correct. Yeah, yeah, I am on the right, the right track. Sometimes you go, you go down a path, and 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 you don't, you don't know if it was the right thing for, for a while. Sometimes it takes time to be like, okay, I'm, I'm glad I went down that path, and I didn't, I didn't zig when I zagged, you know. Yes. If you had told me in 2014 that we were probably. 10 years too early, you know what I mean? That it, because yeah. that's the truth. Like, I believe that this will, I mean, I think that we're going to see a ton of huge advancements in the next three years, but I'm, I'm convinced that by 2024, you know, XR technology will be commonplace and, yeah. you know, just one more way that we're able to experience digital media content in the world, but that will be a full 10 years after, you know, I started. And if you had told me in 2014, oh, by the way, this is, it's going to take 10 years to become mainstream. Yeah. I, I think I would have, I would have been, I would have shied away, yeah. but instead I got, you know, I spent these 10 years getting to work with incredible pioneers doing really innovative work and learning, you know, areas of technology I couldn't have dreamed about before. Yeah. So no regrets, but that, that's, that's, uh, early. <laughs> and and it sounds like if there's anyone to do this work, it's you, right? Like when you go down that path, it's so dark. You don't know when you're actually going to see the light. Like you said, if you knew it would be 10 years, you, you might not have done it, but it is kind of exhilarating just being in, like just walking without necessarily knowing, you know, when is this thing really going to blow up? So, I mean, a few things. One, I read this, I just read this, this article on market watch, um, 
our, our mutual friend, Dirk Wallace forwarded oh, this to me. Yes. Great guy. Great guy. Great guy. So it said that VR will be a trillion dollar industry within the next half decade. I mean, I guess you kind of just answered that, but do you, do you, do you think that's real? I do. Um, I mean, I, I have, you know, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but I have right behind me, my, my Oculus Quest 2, which I, I use every week to meet up with friends uh, on Wednesday nights. And we, we just, we world, we go like do virtual world explorations together, um, really? part of just like a, a fun hobby initiative. Um, and I've been, and, and I, I've been noticing you know, people in my in my immediate friend circle that are not directly tied to XR for their work, like finally getting headsets and because of right. quarantine, finally using them and starting to exercise with them or explore with them. And there's just no question to me that the fun, the, the, not just the, that the fun is there and the utility is there. And that you know, as the technology improves and the content ecosystem continues to improve and as more people get these headsets, there's just, um, you know, the ability to play and explore with anybody in any location at any time um, is, is very compelling. So, you know, yes, I, I believe that virtual reality has a, has a bright future. I, I think that just like any technology, you know, it's going to have ripple effects on on humanity once it becomes, you know, more commonplace. For sure. So, I guess to pivot a little bit, obviously this this pandemic r- ripple effect wouldn't really even it would not be an apt way to describe the the what is what what's happened as a result of this pandemic to to industries, to relationships, we've been plunged all the all the more intensely into our virtual worlds. I'm just curious what what's basically your work at MetaStage looked like during this pandemic. I know you guys are a production house. To mm-hmm. some degree, production has been kicked back up um, mm-hmm. to varying degrees over the last few months. Have you guys been back at it? What's what's that workflow been looking like for you? We, we shut down for two months at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, and then in, and then spent that time kind of developing along with everyone else in the production world, our, our COVID protocols and safety protocols. One thing that we benefit from is that the volumetric capture stage is almost like a barrier in and of itself. It has like, you're, you're on stage by yourself and you're surrounded by this, you know, curtain, this green curtain. So, you know, unlike, you know, maybe cinema or film where they really depend on people, you know, acting in close proximity with each other. You know, we, we really only capture up to three people at the same time and, um, and very often just one person at a time in the, in the capture volume. So we made, of co- so, so where we've, we've landed with that is, you know, we, we limit the amount of people who are on set to 10 maximum. And that includes Metastage personnel. We run a, uh, like a, a Zoom uh, video of the production for anybody that's in on the creative team that wants to feel like they're involved, but um, but 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 we but just don't feel com- comfortable bringing non-essential people to this the stage. I mean, obviously, you know, mask, so six feet of distance, hand sanitizer everywhere, um, you know, regular COVID testing. Um, and we've started integrating like a touch-free sign-in process for like, you know making sure that everybody has followed the COVID safety checklists and, 
you know, is symptom free and, and all of that. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's a brave new world when it comes to production. I think because, because our, um, production team is by nature, just very small. We benefited from just not needing to have that many people there. Um, and so we kind of became actually a, a solution to a problem. You know, I think we, we benefited a bit from seeing when we did open up, I think a lot of the live event folks, you know, started looking at XR and, and, and saying, well, okay, well, how can we use this technology for our virtual conferences and for, um, or keynotes and, you know, and, and, and musicians the same way. Okay, well, we can't be with our fans. What are ways we can creatively and engage with them, you know? And so, yeah, so we, I think we, in the end, when we open back up, you know, work, work has been good. Um, and we've been doing a lot of interesting projects, um, but it doesn't change, you know, it's, it's, it's stressful. You know, we, we, every week it's, you know, we feel like when we've come out clean and unscathed, it's like, phew, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we're uh, talking about uncharted territory. It's kind of a theme, but that, you know, virtual worlds, us getting plunged deeper and deeper into our virtual worlds earlier this month, the, the biggest expo conference, I don't think it's just technology expo conference. It's the biggest expo conference in the world. Usually I think talking about CES here, they usually have something like 3 million square feet of space but they went all digital, um, completely unprecedented. Now, I know you spoke on a panel discussing virtual worlds. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience speaking in a at a digital conference? And with, and obviously, you know, you're a leader in your field, you're speaking with other, other leaders. Like what did, what did you all, what did you talk about? Yeah. Um, you know, I will say it is amazing to think about, you know, the carbon footprint that was saved from the, from the planet by not having all those people fly in for that event. I mean, if there's any silver lining to this, it's, it's been that, you know, I think we were, we were just kind of like very excessive as, as a species before this, you know, just, and, and there were so many things we've now realized that we can do virtually, or that might be, you know, maybe not just as good, but, but, pretty close to as good to be done virtually. And man, we just saved the planet a lot of, a lot of um, stress. Yeah. But um, so, so for virtual CES this year, yeah, I did a panel in Altspace, which is one of the social, social VR platforms. It's a live event platform in, in VR. And uh, I had my Oculus Quest on and I am in this room that looks just like a, um, just like the same type of space where I would give a panel presentation at, at a conference, you know, I'm, I'm standing at a podium. I've got, I've got fellow presenters to my right and left. I have an audience full of, of people out there, all avatars, but I know that behind each avatar is a, is a real human and in, inside of a VR headset. And we, and, and in that way it was, it was funny other than the fact that everyone's a cartoon and I'm in a cartoon world. Um, it felt very authentic and similar to giving a panel presentation in, in, in an actual, you know, actual CES. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about virtual events. Um, and so it was just super, super meta, you know, we were in the virtual event talking about virtual events yeah. and, you know, discussing just some of the, um, just some of the great traction and headway that was made this year 
you know, one of the big topics of conversation was the Burning Man VR event that happened in August. So obviously Burning Man went down. A lot of burners also work in technology. So they came together to build this, this uh, Burning Man in, in alt space. And I, I think there were over 50 different worlds that you could port between inside this virtual Burning Man. They were all created by different, different people. So, um, it, you know, and I forget, I don't know what the stats are and how many people actually showed up for virtual Burning Man, but it was a, it was significant. So I, I think we all pointed to that as like this, this key milestone moment for virtual events in, in, in VR, um, because it was such like an overwhelming success and it was so fun and people made new friends and it's not the same as, you know, going to the actual Burning Man, but it was, it still had some of that spirit. Yeah. Um, and so like I rode on an art car, I was riding around on a virtual art car, you know, looking at, you know, looking at art with people in funny outfits, you know, it was anyway. So we all, we talked a lot about BCVR and we talked about kind of the future of, of volumetric as well. You know, we're looking this, this year, you know, bringing, bringing live performances into these, into like volumetrically into these virtual events is one of our aims. Um, so there's a lot, a lot more exciting thing, developments on the horizon. That's, that's so cool. Okay. So kind of peering into what's looking like the, the near future, uh, how, how do we get AR VR to, to scale, to, to get this technology? How, how do you envision this technology getting into the hands of kind of your, your everyday person, like the kind of folks who have an iPhone? So, you know, the majority of the, the population, is it just, is it just, getting the Microsoft HoloLens down to a price point that is more affordable? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Well, I feel that, I think that the HoloLens team on that specifically, I think they're really focusing on business applications as I, an enterprise, um, which, which is great for, for the HoloLens. Um, I think obviously, like I said, we're really, we're all kind of watching what, what Apple's doing and, and crossing our fingers about, you know, this, the, the Apple glasses, you know, when and if they do get released, uh, because something, you know, when everything inside the iPhone, Apple ecosystem work really seamlessly with each other. And that's one of the, the great things about being inside the Apple ecosystem. Additionally, they always put a lot of emphasis on design. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that's been a little bit lacking in the XR space when it comes to the HMDs, the, the head mounted displays. It's just like, you know, really focusing on design uh, and and it being attractive and so and so this idea this if if these apple glasses come out and they work seamlessly with your your iphone or your or your watch um that is a huge moment for augmented reality and and a yeah. big path step path forward port towards consumer adoption i think that what oculus has done with the quest is also you know really really amazing you know the like at 300 dollars you can buy like a VR headset that's equivalent to what back in the VR Playhouse days would have cost three thousand um, wow. dollars, and so, and and you know I've been pleasantly surprised to see you know friends that, like I said, have no skin in the game when it comes to XR buying VR headsets and actually using them a lot and enjoying them. Um, so it's I think it's it's not, I mean I guess there will be that hockey stick moment, but I think if you just look at the, the, you know, the past five years, there's a steady trend head going up, up, up. Um, and, 
every iteration of the headset that comes out is better than the last. And right. I think where we're, where we eventually want to go is just, you know, something that's as easy to throw on your face as sunglasses, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, there I am in, you know, an amazing on the beach, you know, hanging out with my friends. Awesome. So, so you mentioned you're out in the, in the desert right now. I, I, look, this has been, this has been so illuminating. Um, everything, everything you've talked about, we're starting to move towards the conclusion of this podcast. And before we get to this segment, uh, one of my favorite parts, I call it media diet. I have to ask you, cause you mentioned you're on the desert. What's, what's the spider situation like out there? I, I hear there's some like really gnarly, uh, like enormous, my, my cat's name is actually tarantula. Um, mm -hmm. not a fan of spiders though. The cat just resembled, it kind of was like this furry creature. It's a tortie cat. And I just thought the fur pattern looked kind of like it. Have you seen any enormous spiders out there? You know, I feel extraordinarily blessed that I haven't had a super scary bug encounter down here. Um, I've also not seen a rattlesnake either. Like I'm knocking on wood, you know, I yeah. know these things are here. Um, yeah. I know there these things are here. I just haven't seen them. Um, we, we, what's kind of funny about the desert is like, we don't have mosquitoes and, and these things that, um, you know, are, are huge nuisances, but then the things we do have are pretty, pretty gnarly, as you said, you know, they're, you know, lethal, lethal spiders and things like that. But I, like I said, I haven't had any, any scary encounters. And, and come, I mean, you got to watch out for the rattlesnakes, the, the scorpions, you know, they're, they can, they can provide a, 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 a very painful, uh, uh, sting from what I've, but the, the tarantulas, I don't think are, are poisonous, but it's almost just like, just turning your head and all of a sudden seeing this. I mean, they're, they're very I mean, terrifying I like, looking. I just, you know more about it than me. I'm like, do we have tarantulas down here? Like, I, I don't know. Do we? <laughs> I, I, I had a, yeah. I've only been a desert dweller now, you know, for, since, since 2019 and for, and before COVID, I, I was really only spending the weekends down here when I was, um, oh working in the city. So I've been, you know, more spending more of my time down here, uh, since, since COVID. So I still have a lot to learn about, about this area that I'm doing my best to, to read up about it. I will say it's, it's been so nice to, to just have that quiet and that focus. Um, yeah. and, uh, I found that, you know, it's actually, I feel like improved my, my work at MetaStage to some degree that I really, it, MetaStage has become my main focus and priority on my like absolutely on my day-to-day -day basis. Um, and not that it wasn't before, but you know, there were just so many distractions all the time when I was li living in the city. And now I'm just sure. like, you know, when the day is done, you know, it's just me and the, and the coyotes. <laughs> totally. I mean, it adds, it must add uh, like a, a meditative facet to your, just your everyday experience. Do you meditate? Do you have any kind of like proper meditation practice? I do, I do yoga almost every day. And for me, I have found that yoga is the meditation I can stick with it is because I think I have so much energy that for me to meditate, I have to be doing something physically with my body as well. So I yeah. meditate every day. I mean, I, meditate. I do yoga every day. And I also um, go on a hike almost, I have a nice trail by my house. So I go on a hike maybe every other day as well. And it's just a great place to, I also don't have cell service when I'm on the hike. So I really like, I get out there and I, it's just, I have just think and process um, yeah. what, whatever's going on. And it, yeah, it's pretty crucial because there can be a lot of noise, you know? Yeah, I know. 
Um, all right, media diet, here we go. What, what are you currently reading or, and or is there something you've read recently that particularly piqued your interest or you enjoyed? I'm reading uh, B 2.0 by Jim Collins. He wrote that book, Good to Great, which is like a quintessential famous business book. Um, and uh, B 2.0 is uh, a, it's like a reimagining of a book that he published back, I think in the nineties. Um, and it, it's just, it's a book about leadership and entrepreneurship. I really, I really like his, um, his, style because it's based on a lot of research um and i feel and and what's interesting is that through his immense research over the years um what 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 actually becomes evident is how human like how how many human qualities and characteristics influence a great a great business so a lot yeah. of the great a lot of the qualities that we identify with you know good character or good you know or compassion you know end up leading to creating a great business but it's it's great to see what like what the data what the data speaks to so i'm i'm reading that right now i'm still kind of in the beginning of it but um i find it to be like inspiring you know if at the end of the day i read i read about what really good leaders and ceos do and right. then i think about that i go on my hike and i yeah. try to then apply those learnings if i can the, the next day that's awesome uh okay do you do a lot of cooking, what are your favorite dishes to make? What have you made recently? What's your favorite thing to get carry out if you're like me and like to indulge in a frozen pizza every now and then? What's what's your what's your brand du jour? Pre-COVID, I was I was not cooking much at all, but I've become obsessed with Sun Basket. I'm gonna do a little unpaid promo for Sun Basket right now. It's one of those things where they send you the ingredients and you cook it at your house. Um, okay. Sun Basket, is, you know, they send me three meals every week and they're all organic and fair trade and all that good stuff. And they, you have to make it like you still get like the whole onion and the whole, right. you know, so you have to prepare it, but they give you the recipe. So I don't have to do all of that extra legwork. So, so Sun Basket has been this huge improvement because I'm learning how to cook more. I'm eating really healthy and, um, and the meals taste like they're like restaurant quality. So um, if I'm going to get takeout, I'm a, I'm a, I love ramen. I'm obsessed nice. with ramen. Um, yeah. I can't get, you know, I, there, to me, it's like when you ask like, what's the, what's your, what is it your, your last meal on earth? I'm like, yeah. just get me a perfect giant bowl of ramen. That's awesome. Is there, a, is there a place in LA in particular you enjoy? That's a good question, actually. Yeah. There's this place um, in, in Hollywood called Chib Chibiscus. They have mm. really, really good ramen. Uh, yeah, Chibiscus is great. And then I, I did get the chance to go to Japan a couple of years ago and I got to eat the real ramen. Well, I ate a bunch of ramen that week, but I got to eat like real authentic Japanese ramen in one of those tiny little, um, tiny little restaurants. And uh, it's just like that memory is a shining, a shining pearl in my mind that I like to go to. It's so fun. Did you love J Japan? I've heard it's, it's magical. Yes, I, I would say that I was at first kind of bewildered by it, then amazed by it. And now I like think about it all the time. I, I would love to go back and explore it a little more. I'm just, you know, I felt it, it, it's so different from, from the United States and, um, and so interesting and so fun. And the food is so good. So, yeah. It's on my, it's on my list. Have not been, but 
someday. All right. So have you streamed any good media diets? So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in this segment. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you streamed any good movies or TV shows recently? Anything you'd recommend? Let me think about this for a second. Because uh, I, I am a big TV person, but lately I've been not consuming as much television. Um, yeah, I've been. I went through a. I went through a nature documentary phase. So I, I, I would say two recommended documentaries that that complement each other well were Fantastic Fungi. Uh, about mushrooms and like yes. how amazing mushrooms are and, and yeah. how they're like creating this interconnected web of biodiversity underneath the planet. And then with that one also intelligent trees, which was about trees and also about how they are connected and, you know, and they, they communicate with each other and, and the ways that they, it was interesting. It was kind of amazing actually talking about how they like trees express like fear and pain, but we just, we, the, the way they do it is so counter to the way that we would express fear or pain. And also they do it at such a, so slowly compared to how we do it, uh, we wouldn't even recognize it as such. Um, so I've been on a biodiversity kick recently yeah. and um, I thought both of those documentaries were very inspiring. That sounds so, so fascinating. I think, uh... That's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I'm I'm curious. Is there as as you keep going along on this on this grand adventure that you're on? Is there a way that we can kind of follow along with you? What's the best way to, to link up with you and 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 follow along on your adventures? Um, I'm on obviously I'm on all the social platforms. Christina Heller. Um, you can also follow MetaStage, which uh, we're either MetaStage XR or just straight MetaStage, depending on which platform it is. Um, also, you know, if you're interested in hanging out in virtual reality, um, you can, I, I host these meetups every, every Wednesday night. Our group is called XR Social Club. And it's, uh, like I said, it's just totally a fun, non-commercial initiative. Um, we have a Facebook group called XR Social Club. We also have a Discord server, Discord server called XR Social Club. Nice. Um, meet on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific in, in various so cool. platforms typically VR chat. That's really cool. Uh, I only recently got on, on Discord, but it's a great way to, you know, to meet new and interesting people. Christina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Christina again for coming on the pod. Definitely check out the show notes for some links to MetaStage. And also if you wanna check out our podcast, our, our website, if you want more info, it's all there in the show notes. The XR Social Club, how cool does that sound? I might have to snag one of these. Uh, I might have to snag a headset myself once my once my um, my gains my GameStop stock goes to the moon. Um, <laughs> Or whatever. Um, yeah. So we're still doing we're still doing the contest. So keep submitting those reviews. We're getting some really great ones. I think next episode I'm gonna go ahead and read the first winner. But there's gonna be multiple winners. You can check out all of the awesome the giveaways on the website. So check out these cool giveaways. Write a write a nice review or a mean review. I mean if it's a if it's a bad review that's that's clever, you you could still win even though. My feelings might be hurt if my if my rating is diminished, but you know I I, I like I like some acerbic humor, um, so some some lacerating humor, as evidenced by my water wings joke. 
right? So yes, thank you for listening. Thank you to Hideout Hill for, for providing these dope beats. Yes. And we're going to be back really soon with a new episode. And until then, I hope you're well. Stay healthy. Take care.